Welcome to BDO To Go, casual industry conversation brought to you by the restaurant industry professionals at BDO. The constantly evolving landscape of the industry forces operators and owners to adapt quickly and maintain a keen awareness of consumer and economic shifts. Understanding these business impacts and insights is key to the continued success and resilience of the restaurant industry. That's why we crafted our new BDO To Go podcast series, a monthly podcast that you can take to go. Now, here's your host, Jeff Tuba. Welcome back to another episode of the BDO To Go Restaurant Podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Tuba. Thank you for taking the time to tune in to listen to this episode, and we encourage you to click the subscribe button to automatically download our episodes as they come out. We also welcome you to rate our podcasts and share them with your friends. We hope you enjoy the content that you can take with you to go. Today, Dana Zakowski from BDO will be talking with Sarah Gavigan from the Otaku Group. Dana, I'll turn it over to you. Thank you, Jeff, so much for that introduction. And today we have Sarah Gavigan from Otaku Ramen in Nashville with us. So thank you for being here, Sarah. Yeah, thanks for having me. Anytime. And I always like to start with the first time I meet the person who's on the phone. And Sarah and I were originally introduced through Randy and the FAB conference. And our phone call, we were going to be on a panel together. And it was me, Sarah, and this other woman who was an accountant. And my first phone call, I got on the phone and Sarah started talking about her and her business. And I never told you this, about her and her business and the numbers and all this stuff. And I thought to myself, wait a minute, I thought this was the restaurateur, I, not the accountant. And I got so confused because the business knowledge was just so much more detailed than like most of the people I speak to. So I was like, wait, I can't wait to meet Sarah in real life. And then... We went to FAB, we had a great event, and here we are now, two years later. Yes, long live FAB. Yes, for sure. So Sarah, why don't you talk a little bit about you, your background, how Otaku started? Yeah, so um, I started in the food and beverage industry at the ripe age of 42, and um, I had spent my career in basically the the intersection between music and film in um, the advertising industry. So I placed music in commercials. So I had a small firm that did that. And um, I did basically copyright law and creative all day long. So, but before that, I, you know, worked on film sets and mm-hmm. worked my way up through production and, you know, all that jazz. But when we decided to move from LA to Nashville, my husband and I, um, you know, I was really kind of searching for what was next for me, and I missed ramen so terribly that I decided to teach myself how to make it, and this business exploded in front of us. So, you know, I think kind of talking to what you said that most restaurateurs don't really talk about business, I think I was up against, you know, I I like worship my dad and his his business skill, and I wanted nothing more than to prove to him that I could make something work. And he was in the background going, why are you doing this? Like, why are you doing this, Sarah? Just stay home, raise your kid. You just left LA. Why are you trying to make your life hard for yourself again? Like he was the voice, not only in the back of my head, but literally in the back of my head. And so I knew that I had to, to build this business on business and not, I mean, passion is important, but it's only one small piece of the puzzle. And if you don't have an aggressive relationship with your numbers, 
then it runs away from you and then it's gone. Right. And And that's for sure. I did not want that to happen to me. So, I mean, and you definitely didn't. And over the past year, even with the craziness going on, you're one of the great success stories of people who are actually going to take their business and grow. Tell us a little bit about Otaku and the concept and how you guys are looking at growth right now. Yeah. So again, I fell in love with ramen. I spent a ton of time in the Japanese neighborhoods in Los Angeles and I would go eat a bowl of ramen. It would make me feel great. And I would be able to like face the, the, you know, all the nonsense in my industry with, right. with a little bit better. So when I got to Nashville, I really, um, I decided that I wanted to do a pop-up and I did it as a pop-up for three years before we signed a lease and went brick and mortar. Wow. I didn't realize for three years. Three years. Yeah. So the brand was very well established when we opened the shop, which, you know, I mean, that, that in itself is such a huge relief, right? Like don't open a restaurant until people know who you are. Well, how do I do that? you do pop-ups, you take right. advantage of not having all that overhead and you get your, you build your brand. It's so dating before you get married. Exactly. Exactly. And so that I think really helped us to establish the brand Otaku Ramen. And the name um, is a, is a touchy term in um, Japanese culture. It originally was meant to mean like a super geek, somebody that does nothing but stay home and play video games. And so it was like a derogatory term in Japanese culture. And then a whole subculture bloomed around it, which was anime and manga and all these different things. And this huge entertainment and culture of kind of outsiders and a culture of art and illustration. And I saw all of that firsthand in, you know, the different Japanese neighborhoods in Los Angeles. And so... I loved it because it meant obsession. Like if somebody calls you otaku, you're usually otaku over anime or ramen or both. And I don't think I really truly understood the the depth of the word when I when I decided to name the company, but I'm glad that I did because it represents something so much bigger than just me. Right. And that that made it easy for me, you know, four years into this to kind of see that and say, yes, I may be the founder of this business. I may be the chef of this business, but it's actually not about me. Right. And And one of the things you do, yeah, that you just mentioned with the anime, I know that that's also part of your whole branding and the experience of being part of the otaku world, how you bring all that art into it. It's an instant connection for people. And we thought that we were like bringing the culture here from the West Coast, but it was already here. And it was, I mean, you know, friends of mine that work in advertising on like the, you know, uh, strategy and planning side that do nothing but look for trends, right? They said to me, oh, no, this doesn't even exist in the middle of the country. You're going to be taking it there. They were totally wrong. Right. It is a military-based flyover state, salt of the earth culture, and you know we were seeing people. Like a, a one day, I was in the shop, and my uh, GM's like, "Hey, Sarah, can you go talk to this gentleman and his daughter?" They drove all the way from Knoxville, three and a half hours, to come. His daughter had on her favorite anime character on her T-shirt, and oh, she wow. had to have her first bowl of ramen because she had been watching anime on Netflix. Wow. So, yeah, so you really get a chance to touch people and not just through the food, but through the whole experience. 
Yeah, it means something. And, you know, in a time where I think we've gone through a lot, too, that kind of idea of outsider culture is is really built into what otaku is. So I really resonate with that. And it really helped us to wrap our arms around this idea and kind of let the we drive the food and the experience, but we really let the customers drive the sentiment and we try to listen and build our brand based on how they're responding to what we do. Right. And they're definitely responding. And you just said through the past year, which we know is crazy for everyone and everyone did their own thing. Talk a little bit about how you guys really transitioned and what you did. I think you were probably one of the people in the beginning that I spoke to the most and just really, what do we do and how is this going to make sense? And you figured it out. Well, that started three years ago because I had an opportunity, basically my very first pop-up, I took over a kitchen, which was like on the second floor of a weird mini mall. And we ran it out of there for a while with like a dining room, but we kept the kitchen and it's our commissary. And so when we built the brick and mortar, I was like, wait a minute, hold on. I can't afford an entire commissary for one restaurant. That makes no sense. And Mm -hmm. so- I thought about it and I went to my husband. I was like, could you build a to-go window on the front of this commissary? He's like, yes, I can. So then I was like, well, wait a minute. How do I do this? Because ramen is not to-go food. And it's actually more than that. In the ramen world, it's verboten to have it be to-go. Oh, verboten. I didn't know that. Absolutely, completely verboten. Wow. Because the noodles die so quickly, they they dissipate in less than 10 minutes. If you don't eat them, they'll come. I don't think I've ever had a bowl of ramen that lasted that long. So good for you. You're doing it right. <laughs> right. And and so I was really I had one part of me trying to be authentic to the ramen world. And then I had this nagging feeling like you need to do this. Forget what everybody else says. And so I called Ivan Orkin in New York, who's been a great mentor to me and is kind of the godfather of American ramen. And I said, what do you think about this? And he said, it's my job to sell ramen. Right. And I was like, thank you for giving me permission. And so I went off and spent a year forming a a new formula for doing to-go in a market where no one had ever done to-go and certainly had never done ramen to-go. And so by the time COVID rolled around, we already had an entire infrastructure in place off the ground and tested for a year. So we were just in the cat seat and we were ready to flip and stay um, and move to all to-go. And that was a very smooth transition for, I mean, other than the 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 panic that everyone felt for obvious reasons we did shut down fully for a month but we came back and opened up wide stayed with almost to go the entire time and actually opened an all to go unit in the middle of covid that's phenomenal and i know that by to go it's people came to the window once they were comfortable leaving their house but One of the other things that we've spent a lot of time talking about is delivery. So is that how you navigated delivery as well? So because I did this very, maybe it was like more like four years ago that we started, but I I feel like I've lost like a year and a half. I can't even like do the math anymore. (laughs) Right. Right. You and everybody else. I know. know. It's it's somewhere in the last few years. Exactly. (laughs) Less than a decade. Um, It. Okay. So we were building to go when the third party delivery services landed in Nashville for the first time. So we were one of the first people that they called. So we were able to negotiate rates that don't exist anymore. 
That's and, <laughs> and, and I mean, it does for some people now that have mm-hmm. certain amounts of volume, you can get 12 to 14%. And that I think is what's really unfortunate about the whole setup of third party delivery is that they're charging more to smaller people and less to people that have more volume. Right. And, it's and a that, scale that goes the wrong way. The wrong way. But we realized very quickly that if we wanted, we had a unique position, right? We were the only game in town. We were the only place that you were, we were the only ramen shop in Nashville. Okay. And I think what really, what, what it really came down to is that I had COVID in March, in the very beginning of COVID. And then after I kind of woke up from my days, you know, two months later, I looked at my husband and I said, okay, we need a strategy. What is our strategy? Is our strategy going to be to make money or is our strategy going to be to try not to lose money? Because there are two different strategies. Correct. And so we we sat for days and talked about how much do we think people are going to want our product during this time? It's going to be winter. It's going to be cold. It's going to be a terrible time. And this is comfort food. Okay, we're going to double down. Right. So we took a risk in a time that people were not normally taking risks. But that was because we were so set up for this moment. You were ready without knowing. Without, without knowing we were ready. Without knowing what you were doing in the beginning or why you were doing it, I guess. You knew what you were doing. It was for a different reason, but right. that reason ended up being our saving grace. For sure. And then, so delivery. We all know that the good and bad that comes with a third-party delivery service. Mm-hmm. I know that your partnerships with them are important, but also with some of your other vendors that you work with. Do you want to talk a little bit about your your experience and advice to others listening? Yeah, like, I would say to to um, founders, owners, anyone that is um, managing this piece of the business, carve out a significant amount of time for yourself to vet technology and do it openly and aggressively. I spent the latter part of COVID doing nothing but vetting technology. And I learned so much about how the entire system works. There's two different ways that you can work with third-party delivery companies. One is through their actual marketplace. And that's what everyone is most used to. You go to the DoorDash app, you shop for food. Oh, there's ramen. I think I'll eat that. Right. And that's usually the anywhere from, you know, 12% to 30% uh-huh. mission. But you could also establish your own site through companies like we use a company called GoParrot and they host our online backend. And so we are trying to move people to work with us directly, come to our website, order from us. And then when that order goes through, we ping it to DoorDash and they deliver it. And that's called DoorDash Drive. And that where they, where I'm paying a percentage on the marketplace side, I'm paying a flat fee on the drive side. So that fee is anywhere from five to seven dollars, and I'm charging anywhere from three to five dollars back to the guest based on, um, you know, that how big their order is, and you know, Go Parrots created some levers for us to have flexible pricing for delivery. And now we have successfully migrated over 80% of our to-go business to our own platform. And that's also driving. And that's driving people to your website Mm -hmm. and your platform. So if there were any promotions or things you wanted to do that were specific to you, taking the actual fee out of it, you could do that as well. 
But we made, a, we made a decision when Postmates was purchased by Uber, we realized that they didn't have the level of integration that we needed. So integration is another really big piece. And when I say that, what I mean is that I don't have any tablets in my restaurant. Everything comes through my POS, everything. And so we work with the third-party delivery company to make sure that they are coded in to our POS so that we control 100% of the transaction. And that is was really the game changer. So we were with Postmates. They, they were eventually going to be extinguished or are being extinguished right. as we speak. Uber, believe it or not, doesn't have any integration technology yet. They've been so focused on other things. And by the way, this, this type of technology, it takes very senior engineers. It's not just basic coding. So it is going to take these companies time to get up to speed. So we said, okay, if we're going to jump ship on Postmates and move to DoorDash because of A, B, and C, let's use this as an opportunity to basically just not even tell the guest that we're going to DoorDash and just let them believe that the majority of it is, you know, you just order from us now. Right. It's on the marketplace. If you, if you are a, a diehard DoorDash person, then you have rec you've realized that we're there, but we didn't broadcast it. And that was, we had to really calculate that moment correctly. We had to choose the two weeks that we thought were going to be our slowest weeks and see that drop happen. And then we watched it go back up about 10 to 20% per week. But we had to be willing to take the hit to migrate everyone to our site. And how did you, what kind of marketing or branding, or how did you get the word out to people to come to the site and search there? So we, we sat down and we made a list of every single touch point that a guest has when it comes to thinking about buying from us. And so we have a really simple but beautiful to-go system, the actual physical piece that you get when you order from us. And so we just started doing messaging on that bag a month in advance, telling them, be prepared. On this date, we are no longer on Postmates download our app today, start ordering directly from us today. And, and, you know, a lot of people will do that with a loyalty program. They'll bring people in and that's definitely something to consider. And we're building our loyalty program now, but we didn't use it as the hook for getting people there. Again, we were extremely lucky. We're the only ramen shop in town. So that does this kind of volume. So we kind of had people, right? right? And we were like, if you want it, you got to go here. So yeah. you have to kind of trust that people are still going to find you, you know? Right. And they're definitely finding you. I'm, I'm anxiously awaiting my next trip to Nashville so I, I could try the product. <laughs> I have the cookbook. It's great stuff. So anyone listening should definitely check that out too. Um, Sarah, I, it's great speaking to you. I love it. I always feel like I learned so much just sitting here listening. And your social media is just so much fun to watch. So thank, thank you. you. Thank is you. Is there anything else you want to share with our guests? I think talk to your talk to your POS provider about what kind of integration they're building with third-party delivery companies and see if you can get into the drive program if you feel strongly enough about your own marketing because owning your customer data is the future. You need it, you want it. Right. I think that's a lesson that everyone's learning now more than ever that the data really is the most important. Yeah. So again, thank you so much and we'll speak to you soon. Thank you.
Thank you for listening to BDO To Go. Past episodes and related insights are available at bdo.com slash bdo to go. Or you can go to iTunes or Spotify to rate, review, share, or subscribe to this podcast. The views expressed by our guests do not necessarily reflect the views of BDO. For more information on BDO's restaurant industry practice and the resources we provide, visit www.bdo.com slash restaurants.